you're listening to insuranceradio.com. We sit down for personal conversations with the top insurance and financial advisors, executives, and regulators. Listen in to learn more about their ideas and personal stories at insuranceradio.com. This podcast was brought to you by AD Banker & Company, specialists in licensing your office staff for property and casualty or life and health since 1979. Licensing webinar classes now available so your staff can study and learn at home or right there in your office. For more information, go to adbanker.com. Wally Douglas is an award-winning district manager for Farmers Insurance in Sacramento, California. Wally's combined experience as a producer, corporate executive, and manager has given him the unique ability to select, develop, and mentor new producers to become successful. He grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's a graduate of USC with a degree in entrepreneurship. Please welcome Wally Douglas. Wally, thanks for uh, joining me today. It's great to be here in Sacramento. Well, thank you. The uh, uh, say uh, you uh, grew up uh, here in Sacramento, or where where did you grow up? I actually grew up in a uh, city in the Bay Area called Piedmont. Uh, I was born in 1965, and I attended all my uh, my grammar school and high school experiences in uh, in Piedmont. Yeah, were you involved in sports, or you were you more of a book? Uh, no, I was uh, academics. Probably were not my strong point. Ronald Reagan and I have something in common there, I think, but. Uh, I was a pretty good athlete. I, I was on track, and I was a sprinter, and I was a tennis player. Yeah. In fact, I aspired to be a professional tennis player. Um, Jimmy Connors was my hero. Yeah. And uh, as I got older, girls kind of interfered with that that plan. Yeah. yeah. Do you still play uh, recreationally? I play a little bit. Um, I'm more of a golfer now, and uh, a lot of things I learned from tennis uh, directly transcend uh, into into golf, and I mountain bike a lot. And uh, I'm very much into physical fitness. My wife is a professional uh, personal fitness trainer. And uh, sports and staying in good shape are a big part of uh, our family life. So if you weren't motivated to do that anyway, she'd kick you out of the house to make you go do things. <laughs> yes, she would. She makes sure I eat well. And uh, other things, she always makes sure I stay active. If I come home and sit on the couch and I don't go to the health club, she gets upset with me. So I end yeah. up going to go work out every night. Well, when you were growing up, uh, what kind of business uh, was your dad and mom in? So that's a great question. So my dad uh, was in business with his two brothers and uh, his father in uh, in Oakland. It was called Douglas Motor Service. It was a small repair garage. And then they expanded into uh, parking, parking lots, parking lot management company throughout Oakland. In fact, you'll see signs throughout the Bay Area say Douglas Parking. And my father and his two brothers ran that business. Uh, they started in 19, God, 1950. And in fact, my uncle uh, is still running that business with his two sons today. Uh, my father retired when he was uh, 55. And that's right when I graduated college. And during that time when he was in business, uh, I always worked for the family businesses. It was expected that that happened. And I enjoyed it. I always had a work ethic. I remember one time, when I was pretty young, I said to my grandfather, I said, you know, I really don't like this. This is really hard work. And he goes, that's why they call it work. But uh, I grew up with a work ethic and uh, always learning how to work for your money and appreciating it. And uh, it was a great experience. And then my mom, as I got older, I was in high school, she decided to go into business uh, with my aunt. And they opened up a gourmet cooking store uh, where they had uh, pots and pans and different instruments to cook with. 
and um, it was a pretty cool store. My mom always liked to work too. And by the time I was in high school, she needed something to do because at that point I was pretty independent. My sisters were older and they were independent. And uh, so I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My other sister is a professional artist, lives up in Santa Cruz. And then my other sister is a musician and has a, has a band. And uh, mm -hmm. again, they're kind of entrepreneurs in their own way. Uh, now, in the early days of the business, did you ever have any incidences parking cars or working <laughs> on vehicles? Uh, um, I, I used to park cars when I was 14 years old and bring them into storage. And at that time, they, I think the legal age to drive is 16. It still is. But it was always on private property. But, uh, yeah, I had a few uh, nicks and dings. And that's my dad said, that's how you learn. And uh, nothing too serious. But, uh, yeah, there were some, some close calls, too. And uh, I used to go pick up car parts when I was 16 for the mechanic. And that was a little stressful sometimes. Just, uh, I mean, pretty much they gave me the keys to the big truck to pick up car parts, tires, and made me a little nervous driving this big truck. But uh, it was all good. Yeah. Now, you went off to college. Uh, where did you where did I you, did. Where did you I did. I was a decent student. Uh, I went to University of Southern California, uh, USC, and uh, I started there as a film major. I was inspired by uh, uh, a few famous people. George Lucas is one of them, and Steven Spielberg. I had seen movies by them and kind of inspired me to be a filmmaker. And I had a little camera when I was a kid, uh, an 8-millimeter camera, the old film style, and I'd make films. And I got into the USC uh, Film School. And really after about a year, I said, that just isn't really the direction I want to go. And I changed to an entrepreneur major. They have an entrepreneur program, a very good one. There's about five campuses throughout the country uh, that have a similar program. And it was a great experience. And I loved it and uh, graduated with a degree in entrepreneurship. And uh, it really helped me a lot uh, going forward more than I ever thought. And when you graduated, what kind of job do, were you looking for, and where did you where did you land to start out with? I guess I was kind of nomadic. I always liked cars and things of that nature. Uh, I had a business in college, a t-shirt business. I had a partner, and uh, we would sell t-shirts to the fraternities and sororities and different special events on campus, and I actually made some money, helped uh, pay for my college expenses. So when I graduated, I was kind of interested in that business, um, but I just wasn't sure. I didn't have a lot of capital. But I was a pretty good tennis player, so there was a program at Oakland called the Mayoral Youth Tennis Program. I think Lionel Wilson was the mayor, and he was a big tennis advocate. And I worked for the city of Oakland. This is back in 1987. And they were paying about $20 an hour, which was pretty good money back then. And I would teach for four or five hours a day. And then after that, I'd go look for jobs. And I just I didn't have the drive. I was a little nervous about starting a business from scratch. didn't have the capital. didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I remember seeing uh, an advertisement in the insurance business, Metropolitan Life Insurance. So I got a little intrigued by insurance. I always kind of thought it was an interesting business and uh, knew a little bit about it because when I worked for my father, I would meet the insurance people and see the, all the different things involved with insurance. And obviously, when I damaged cars, I'd meet with the adjusters. <laughs> You'd make me do that. But... Uh, I saw an ad for that and got me kind of intrigued, and I interviewed with a few different insurance companies. And uh, ironically, uh, I was out playing tennis one day, and I met a gentleman who I knew. Uh, was a friend of my father, and uh, he'd asked what I was looking for in work. And I said, I was looking to get in the insurance business. And he said, well, I'm an agent at New York Life. And uh, he said, why don't you come interview there? And I went in and interviewed with them, and they were very nice to me. 
really enjoyed the experience, and I went to work for Newark Life. I think it was in 1988, and um, it was in the Hayward General Office, and I learned a lot. It was a great experience. Uh, I got my securities license and my life license, obviously, and the training was uh, was very, very good. Um, and it kind of helped me incorporate my business degree. Had some finance classes and accounting classes, so that really made the the ramp up a little bit easier. But uh, that was my entry into the insurance business. Well, tell me about. Uh, I'm sure you probably go back to the early days. Uh, your first account, your first sale. Uh, how did that all come about? Uh, uh, and uh, you know, was uh, how did that uh, work out for you? Well, it's tough. I was you know 22 years old, and I'm marketing you know life insurance to people that are older with children responsibility. My biggest, you know, fear was, will I have enough money for rent? And uh, for the weekends, will I have enough money for beer? So, um, and I have to be able to identify, of course, as a, as a good insurance person, you, you really have to identify with your end user. And I'm meeting with young couples, with children, and, you know, people that are a little bit older that have estate planning needs and expenses and savings and, you know, trying to save for retirement and all that. So it was, it was tough to relate. And, um, one of the first projects they had me do was send out a letter introducing myself to everybody I knew. And it was my landlord that actually called me, was the first one to call me. Um, paid my rent on time, so I guess I had good credibility with her. And I met with her and her husband. Uh, they both were engineers, very professional. And I proposed to them uh, whole life policies. They were very conservative. And uh, they had a big need for life insurance. I think they had two or three children. And I met with them at their home. They had a beautiful home in Alameda. And I remember after I presented, um, I was getting ready to pack my briefcase up, assuming they weren't going to buy. And then they said, well, well, who do we make the checks payable to? <laughs> so that was my first one. And it was a pretty lucrative sale. Um, I don't remember the exact dollar amount, but it was substantial. It would pay my rent for several months. <laughs> and uh, I did everything I was supposed to do. Uh, I was somewhat of an academic. I didn't have the, the full connection I think you need to have. I'd been a little bit older, but uh, that was my first one, and uh, it got me more interested in the business, and it felt good because it was good. Were there uh, particular mentors, or did you have a mentor that kind of took you under his or her wing? uh, I was looking for one. I was looking for one, and uh, it's funny. There there were a lot of producers in the office um, that worked in there, and there were a couple young guys that had been there a while that would kind of help me out and kind of give me tips. one gentleman, I forgot his last name, his first name is Martin. He was a good guy. And uh, I'd always see him after I put together a proposal and asked for his advice when I would meet with clients, and he was very helpful. And there was a sales manager in there, too. I think his name was William Silva. I don't know how I remember that name. But he was kind of the trainer. And he'd be the person I would meet with if I had questions on a proposal or a sales approach. And uh, while there was no one really that would kind of hold my hand, there were a lot of people in that office that would be very supportive that I could approach. I felt very comfortable talking to people in there. Um, but it was a good experience. And I found there were a lot of good people in the business. And I met some other people in the industry because I had joined a industry trade group where it was like once a month we'd get together for lunch. And there'd be people from, you know, Prudential and Northwestern Mutual and Farmers Insurance and State Farm. And I liked the diversity. Um, but yeah, it was, there were several people. Yeah. 
And you were a successful producer, but then eventually migrated to management. What caused you to move from being a, a personal producer to, to getting into management and helping others? Well, that's interesting. So in New York life, I wouldn't say it was a big success. I was a young kid, and I had a, a few lucky sales, but by no means I don't think I had a, a tremendously successful career there. After about a year, I had met up with some farmers people, um, Farmers Insurance, uh, which is a multiple line company. I didn't really understand the difference at that time. And uh, I was struggling a little bit, still young and, and wet behind the ears. And I met up with an agent with farmers and I kind of told him, you know, I think I need more. I, I, I think I need more products. I, I think I need something that's a little bit easier to approach people. I like sales. I like the insurance industry. And he goes, well, why don't you come to farmers? You know, they do auto, home, commercial and all that. And I met with a district manager by the name of Myron Carlson, who was doing what I do currently. Really good man. Um, and so I interviewed with him in Walnut Creek. I was living in Oakland at the time. And uh, he told me about the farmers program. So I left uh, New York Life to go work for farmers. And I was an agent there for about a year. And I really enjoyed it. And I was doing pretty well in life insurance because um, I had the sales skills uh, on the products. I was very, very uh, knowledgeable on life insurance. And so when I came to farmers, the auto home seemed to come a little bit easier. Uh, everybody needs it. You add value. And then I would approach them on life insurance and farmers had a portfolio of life products. And it just was much easier to approach people. I didn't have to have the experience that I did selling life only. In other words, I could build a relationship on auto and home and then cross sell the life. And that's what I appreciated. It made it a little bit easier for me. And I enjoyed property and casualty. I understood the business because of my experiences in property and casualty, auto insurance and so forth. And in the time I was there after about a year, um, the company came to me and said, you know what, you ever thought about taking a corporate uh, career? The uh, corporate office was very close to where I was working, and I knew a lot of people in there. So I decided to go work on the corporate management side, and I worked in Pleasanton. And the person that recruited me was a gentleman by the name of Leonard Gelfan, who was a vice president there. And he was a good man and kind of took me under his wing. And that was truly a mentor figure to me. And I worked inside the pure corporate office for about eight years, had a few different promotions and, uh, and so forth. And uh, part of the thing in corporate life is you have to be willing to relocate and move and so forth. And I really got kind of settled into the Bay Area, uh, got married, got comfortable there. And I'm kind of a nester. I like to stay in one place. And in the corporate, corporate world, you really have to be willing to relocate. Not that there's anything wrong with people to do. Just for me, my personality is more I like to stay situated and be involved in a community and stay in one place. Um, but where I was working at that point, uh, I would have to relocate if I wanted to move up in my career, which I do want to do. And I decided uh, I was going to go back and be an agent so I could stay in one place and build an agency. I learned a lot working inside for eight years, an awful lot. Um, I worked with roughly 1,000 producers. Um, in the positions I had, got to know a lot of agents, saw what the successful agents did. And then I worked with a couple dozen district managers that do what I do currently and kind of saw what they did. I was interested in both. And um, I talked to some of my friends in the company and they said, well, why don't you think about becoming a district manager? Best route is to go work for one. The district manager is like a general agent. Um, our distribution is more like that. Mm -hmm. uh, most general agents, of course, are on the life side. We're a general agency on the property and casualty side. And um, I weighed both. I love uh, mentoring and developing people. 
and uh, seeing success. I like being a head coach, and that's kind of what this position was. Mm -hmm. So in 19, uh, let's see, 97, I went to work for a district manager close to Pleasanton in Castor Valley, worked for him for three years. And then after about three years, uh, some districts opened up. And uh, my wife and I were living at Walnut Creek at that time. And I liked Sacramento. And they mentioned Sacramento was one of the locations. And they said it was a very poor performing district. And uh, it means that you have to be a strong person. But I saw the opportunity. My wife liked Sacramento and I did. We decided to come up here. And uh, started in 19, uh, let's see, 2000, April 1st, 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and it was pretty challenging. Yeah. What was uh, some of the characteristics that you've observed in district managers that you followed that you've tried to emulate uh, in terms of their success? That's a great question because the, the failure rate, I think, for district managers with farmers is, is, is not good. It's not a good number. Um, I've been for 15 years. My plan is to get at least 20 to 25 years in. Um, I love my job, but that's not enough. You have to perform. This is a performance uh, position. And I had a chance to observe a lot of district managers. And I think really the key is the, your ability to connect with people um, and really believe in what you're doing. I know that the stuff that I coach people on and I tell them to do, if they do it, their chance of success is 100%. And coming from a small business, I always appreciated the ability to run your own show. Uh, I'm familiar with a lot of other business opportunities out there. And obviously, if you start a business from scratch, your chance of success is pretty lean. You know, if you buy a franchise, a McDonald's franchise or a Wendy's or a Subway, your chances are better because of all those systems, substantially better. So I saw this is similar to a franchise. My job is to recruit people to open up a franchise, even though I know that term is not supposed to be used. We're not a franchise, but you become an independent business owner with a lot of systems. And I'm impressed with the systems Farmers has. And for me, the greatest uh, satisfaction is when someone does do the things they're supposed to do their chances of success are 100%. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see that. I've had people coming in my office crying years later, thanking me. Yeah. So, well, What's some of the character or the uh, habits that you developed as an agent that you think were really essential for you that once you became a district manager, which carried over? Um, I don't know if I developed it. Maybe I just kind of got, I improved what I had. I mean, I think you're kind of born with some innate skills. And you just get better and better. Um, I really think th your attitude is you're just never going to quit. You just have to be willing in sales to say, okay, I had a bad day. And go, I am not going to quit. So you see three clients, you go, I did everything right. And no one bought from me. No one became a customer. Pretty demoralizing. You have to wake up the next day and start fresh and go, I know if I see enough people, the chance of my success is guaranteed. Yeah. But it's very difficult because people are emotional. Yeah. And that's probably true with any insurance company. It is persevering. And I'm kind of like Apollo 13. Failure is not an option. Yeah. And yeah. so I think really um, what I've seen with people who have been successful in my peers, besides connecting with people, is they don't quit. And I think the people around them see that mm -hmm. and they don't quit. So mm -hmm. I've had people go, I know you're not happy with my results. So you're probably giving up on me. And I go, I never give up. Mm -hmm. only you're the one that's going to give up. I will treat you the same as if you're my top producer or my worst. And I'll tell you what you should do. It's mm -hmm. your decision what you want to do with that information, though. Yeah. yeah. You know, you've become a successful manager, uh, but obviously there's some up times and there's some down times. 
you know, take me back to, you know, what was the situation in the past that where things really looked dire or where they, they just didn't, uh, uh, you begin to question, you know, what's the future hold? And, you know, take me back to where you were and your state of mind at that time and what you decided to do to, to cure it or to work your way through it. Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, there's always ups and downs in management. We're a big uh, company. You know, my, uh, my role is to take information from the company, disseminate it to the agents. Uh, and have them partake, you know, in, in different company initiatives. It's kind of like if you own a McDonald's and corporate McDonald's says, you know, we're giving away 99 cent Big Macs, even though you owe that independently, you need to follow the program. And it's a good thing usually. So, I mean, Farmers has kind of come and gone with different programs. Um, most uh, have been good. Um, there are those that have failed. And I think the hard time is, is there's been some programs laid out that I really believed in. Um, and I presented to the agents and then for whatever reason, uh, overall they failed. And uh, the agents kind of watch that, kind of use that against me sometimes. They go, oh, another new program. Well, what about that one you pushed three years ago? And so it, it, it's tough because I feel like sometimes I lose credibility. And I have to explain, and that's true with every business. Every single business, they roll out new initiative. Doesn't matter. It's the ideas. We've got to try new things. And you're going to have failures. I think I remember hearing a statistic that kind of blew my mind, and you may know this number, that the percentage of times that our CEO is correct on major strategic initiatives, the percentage, and uh, if I recall correctly, I think it's 60%, which means 40% they fail. So my, I guess my feeling is if it's major, it better be at least 50%, right? But you're, you're going to have mistakes. Uh, you're going to have good times and bad times. And then in the property and casualty business, um, things are a little more tumultuous. Uh, we have a thing called loss ratio. You know, comes goes in the life industry. You really don't have that. But in PNC, we have years where for every dollar we take in, we pay out a dollar five, a dollar ten, and things happen where either we have to raise rates dramatically for losing too much money, um, or there's a line of business that's unprofitable. We have to shut down, and so it's uh, it can be difficult. But I've really never had a point in my 26 years with farmers where I've ever felt I'm done. I've never had that feeling. I have bad days. And it's more about people. Yeah. I think it's about being disappointed. But I've really never had that where I'm like, I'm going to leave and then something changed my mind. I've never felt I'm going to quit. Yeah. Now, if you had a person listening to the podcast that was contemplating becoming a manager, uh -huh. you know, what advice would you give them? Uh, what would you ask them or suggest they look at? Or what would they evaluate? in making a decision of whether or not uh, becoming a manager is something that would work for them? That's, that's a great question, too. It's Management is very different than sales. Um, kind of like sports. Seldom do top athletes make great coaches. And I think I've kind of figured that out. I read a book on that. I can't remember by who. And it was a, a very interesting, enlightening uh, book about management. And one of the things that it says about top athletes, the reason they don't make great coaches is they kind of had a tendency to assume everyone's like them. And they tend to push people to do the things they did. And I think I've seen that in industries too, where you try to bring a top salesperson in, uh, into a management position, and they're going, this is what I did to be successful. This is what you will do. And they're very rigid. They tend to be, that's, that's just based on my experience. I was a very mediocre producer. And they say mediocre producers make good managers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason is that they're, they're studying, like Pete Carroll is one of my heroes. He was a very mediocre football player, and I think he's a great coach now. 
obviously I can say that because of USC, but um, it makes you be more introspective about yourself. And what I am, I'm very eclectic with my, with my salespeople. I treat everybody a little bit differently. I expect, you know, high values and high ethics. Those things are automatic and a high work ethic. I expect people to work hard. Those are the things that I expect. But everybody's different in the way they approach things. And it, it allows me, I think as a manager, you, you do have to treat people a little bit differently. Each producer. And you have to have a variety of ways to be successful. I, I don't come with one specific plan and say, okay, this is what you have to do to be successful. I ask a lot of questions what they feel comfortable with and the systems they would feel comfortable with. And then we start to explore from there. But really, if you were to bring five of my people in, they all have my, my top five people that I've recruited uh, in this business that have done well, they all have a different way of doing business. And, and the way that they connect with people and the way they sell, that's okay, as long as they're doing the right thing. But um, I learned that everybody's different, yeah. and it's hard. I, I think the other thing is, is being let down is very difficult. When you have someone you go, I know this person can be successful, and they go through your training, and you set them up, and then they, they fail. And it's, it's, it hurts. It's a connection you get with someone, especially when you really have high aspirations. And I think that burns people out. And I think the key is you just got to let it go. You got to go, I got to do everything I can to make that person successful. And if that person does fail, you have to let go because yeah. it'll destroy you. Yeah. Now, if you hadn't become a manager uh, and pursued the career in the insurance profession, you know, what other occupation might you have? What, what could you see yourself having done had you not pursued this? Career? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I guess I'm kind of a believer things kind of work out pretty much for the way they're supposed to. Um, I almost can't imagine. I mean, I actually thought about going to law school. I like to argue. <laughs> Not with my salespeople too often. Yeah. But uh, it's funny. I, I had a lot of different things. I was, just, I was interested in being an engineer. Uh, I was interested in the car business because of what I grew up yeah. and yeah. Uh, still love cars today. Um, you know, yeah. Real estate investing and all that. But yeah. I, I almost can't even imagine. This is what I've done. And this is almost yeah. what I kind of feel like I was meant yeah. to do. Although film I was interested yeah. in a while ago. I enjoy yeah. watching movies. Maybe yeah. when I retire, I'll become a filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you uh, get in the car and uh, start it up and head to the office in the morning, yeah. uh, what's, your, what's uh, the thing that dominates your thoughts? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question, too. You know, at this point, it's almost a routine. I have my cup of coffee. I stop every morning and... Pete's coffee and see a few friends and that can be dangerous because then we start to digress in conversation and that makes me run late for work. Almost did that today. Uh, we were talking about Greece and uh, that could have gone on until noon. I was there at eight o'clock and had to get out of here for this yeah. interview. But uh, I, I guess my fear is that someone that's, you know, that, that I work with or an agent's going to call me with bad news. I know that mm -hmm. sounds crazy, but I have roughly 40 producers and it's a lot of people, a lot of personalities. And it seems like for the most part, what affects people are personal things, personal tragedies. I have one of my uh, producers whose mother passed away a couple weeks ago, and I know how that feels. And she's a really good woman and was very close to her mother. And that, that has an impact on, mm -hmm. on production, but on people. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, and you, you're empathetic in this position. And there's, there's always some, some personal things going on. That's yeah. usually the things that kind of make me nervous. Um, it's a pretty steady ship, but uh, this is about people. The business is automatic. 
I mean, consumers need what we sell. Uh, you've got to be able to sit in front of customers and, and do a good job. And it seems like for the most part, for the, for the majority of my agents, uh, they enjoy what they do and they enjoy meeting with clients. But life uh, has an impact, all yeah. kinds of things. And it's yeah. almost, you know, with 40 people, yeah. um, there's always seems to be something. To kind of go back and circle back to where we yeah. started the conversation uh, about your mom and your dad, mm -hmm. what's some advice that your mother or your dad uh, gave you or examples that they set that you find uh, you still think about and mm -hmm. are applicable to you and your business today? That's a very easy question to answer. You know why? Because it's every day it's in my head. Uh, number one is hard work always pays off every single time, always. Yeah. And people will argue with that because I worked hard and didn't get the result. That's not what hard work's about. It means putting everything in and hopefully you'll get the result. But if you don't, you become better. That is a absolute key uh, that I live my life by. I've always had a work ethic. And then number two is, it sounds kind of corny, but it's treat others the way that you would want to be treated. My mother used to say that all the time. Be good to people. Yeah. Um, there are people that say, be good for people, and be, there's, be good for people or be good to people. I believe you can be both. Some people don't. Some people believe either you're good to people or you're good for people. Good for people means you're pushing them and being hard on them. And good to people means, oh, you're just nice and you accept everything. No, you can be good to people and you can be honest and transparent. Um, and I do. I live my life that way. I tell people what I see. And uh, if someone's not working hard, I know it. And they know. It. And I can say, look, based on what you're telling me, you're not working hard enough. Because I wouldn't put you in this position unless I think you could be a good agent. It's you making a decision. Can you get through the emotional stress of not having what you expected today? But those are probably the two. And, I mean, my whole family has always had a work ethic. Um Wally Douglas, yes. uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today uh, in your office here in Sacramento. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Oh, hi. You're still here. Say, if you are interested in reaching thousands of licensed insurance producers across the country, why not consider sponsoring a guest podcast? If you had sponsored this episode, we would be telling thousands of listeners daily about you and your company. Find our contact information to request prices and availability at insuranceradio.com.